Let's pray tonight as we dig in. Lord, we thank you. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord that heals us. And we honor you. and We honor your presence here tonight. And we thank you that you're ministering and doing everything that you desire to do. That the Spirit of God is moving, saying everything he needs to say. Lord, that he's taking the Word of God and unveiling it to our spirits tonight. So that we can see things that we've not seen before. Understand things that we've not understood before. Thank you, Lord, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. <laughs> Great insight into the word of God. Hallelujah. Lord, we, we hunger for this. We ask you for it. And we believe we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Well, I want to talk to you tonight as we're going to go ahead and continue on the subject of uh, uh, healing as Pastor John's got started laying this foundation. But I want to talk to you specifically about the origin of sickness. The origin of sickness. And uh, really what we'll do is we'll take a look at God's original creation and how sickness came into existence. And, uh, and I believe that we'll be able to see some things from the word that will really enlighten us tonight. And uh, so I ask you to stay tuned in. This is, this is Bible study night. So we're going we're gonna to teach tonight. We're going to, uh, as I like to call it, uh, we're going to take all the, all the bones out. We're going to have boneless chicken and filleted fish tonight. Amen. <laughs> Someone said, oh, I'm hungry. Praise the Lord. All right. But let's go ahead and dig into the scripture and, and, and let's check this out. The origin of sickness. Uh, when God originally made everything, back in Genesis 1, there's one verse that sums up real well what it was all like. And that's Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. It says, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Someone say very good. So, how does God define good? That would be a good place to go. How does God define good? Because we want to make sure that our definition of good and his definition of good lines up. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a look at several scriptures, uh, uh, mostly uh, New Testament, one in the Old Testament, that, that describe what is good as, as far as God is concerned, especially in relation to, to healing, especially in relation to uh, even asking the question, is sickness good? Now, you might think that's a strange question to ask, but you see, uh, there, there, there's the way people think out in the world where life is happening Monday through Friday and, you know, weekends too. And then there's the way people think in church that is somehow a little, ooh, you know, a little out there, uh, religious thinking, uh, thinking that uh, would not line up in any other setting except a religious setting. There, there are some people, the way they think about God, that if, uh, if the local DCYF office heard that God was treating his children that way, God would be in jail. 
I'm not kidding around. There's people that really think that way about God. So one thing that we're going to get to do tonight as we explore this is we're going to go ahead and set the record straight about what God's really like. Amen. So let's go through some of these scriptures. How does God define good? Well, one great place to go is Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Peter is preaching to a house of Italians. That's what's happening there. And he said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So doing good is right there along with healing all who are oppressed of the devil. So that gives you a little impression of how God defines good. Let's look at Matthew 9.35. That says that then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, which is, gospel means good news, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So when Jesus went around preaching good news, what we call the good news of the kingdom, what happened? Every sickness and every disease among the people was getting healed. You see that? I didn't read that into it. It's there. <laughs> Luke twelve thirty two, And uh, I know we're, we're, we're uh, putting a lot of scripture out there tonight, but I want to give you a real solid, rock solid foundation on, on which to, to uh, build here. Luke 12, 32, Jesus is speaking here. He says, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, we just read about the good news of the kingdom. And when the good news of the kingdom got preached, you had every sickness and every disease healed among the people. Now, Jesus said that it's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That it's the father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom, that when the good news of this kingdom is preached, you have every disease and sickness healed among the people. Are you helping me connect some dots here tonight? Praise the Lord. Now, check this out. This is something that, that's going to very well state the, the character of God here. Jesus speaking, this is Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 7. And it says, and uh, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Well, one thing that the Father's saying here is a good thing is that the child gets what they're asking for. Now, uh, if the child asks for fish, you, you don't get a serpent. Or if you ask for bread, you don't get a, a stone. Because here's the thing, what can you do with a stone? You can't eat a stone, 
Stone's not going to do you any good unless you have a pet rock. But a, a, a serpent, if a child gets a serpent, a serpent can bite a child. A serpent can hurt a child. A serpent can kill a child. And your heavenly father, when you ask him for fish, when you ask him for something that you actually can use for, for sustenance and, and for the health of your body, he's not giving you something that'll hurt you and harm you. No, he's giving you the very thing you ask for. He gives good things. Amen. Hallelujah. And of course, this verse we just read also deals with that old mentality. Well, I, I asked the Lord to, to heal me and, and he thought better of it. He thought that I could glorify him better by being sick than by being well. So y'all ever heard that kind of stuff before? See, I've heard that kind of stuff before. People seriously believe that, sincerely believe that. But, you know, it reminds me of a title I I used to a series that I did on Wednesday night several years ago. It was called, Don't Talk About My Daddy That Way. And sometimes you just won't say that. Mm, Don't talk about my daddy that way. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, How about Psalm 103? Starting with verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases and redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, the way good was defined back in Matthew 7 is that it was good for you to get the, the good thing that you were asking for. That, that you weren't getting a rock when you were asking for bread, and you weren't getting a serpent when you were asking for a fish. And here in Psalm 103, what are these good things? Well, these good things are all his benefits, the forgiveness of your sins, the healing of your diseases, your life being redeemed from destruction, and you being crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies, and you just getting younger all the time. Hallelujah. Those, according to God, are good things. What does the Bible say about good in relation to God? Well, James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So that tells us this, that every good gift and perfect gift coming from him And the fact that there's no varying or shadow of turning with him, that means that he's not the kind who's going to go ahead and give you these kind of gifts one day and then wake up on the wrong side of the bed and want to give you another kind of gift on another day. First of all, you don't have to worry about God waking up on the wrong side of the bed because he who keeps Israel does neither slumber nor sleep. He's always awake. Hallelujah. While you're getting your El Shaddai, there's somebody who's watching over you and his name is El Shaddai. Hey, come on. Hallelujah. Now, so, so there's no varying, there's no shadow of turning with him. There's no chance that he's going to go ahead and suddenly decide to change the kind of gifts that he's giving. <laughs> Are you with me on that? Amen. All right. Now, 
in the context of sickness, which is one of the things that we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, is sickness good? Well, there's one verse that, that, that helps us out here. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 15. And it says, And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Terrible diseases. And you know what? I, I prefer to, to not have terrible diseases. How about you? You, you know what? Uh, in January of this year, uh, I was uh, diagnosed as uh, COVID positive. I knew that was not a good thing. Ain't I smart that I could figure that out? I knew that was not a good thing. I knew that was not a good gift. I knew that that was not something to lay back and take. I knew that was something to resist. That was something to fight, fight against. Not just in a physical sense of, of your body fighting the disease, but, but in the sense of getting my armor on, getting my sword out, and just uh, doing warfare with the word of God, saying, uh-uh-uh, you, you know, you are trespassing on the property where you don't belong. I knew that that was a terrible disease. Not trying to help people, trying to hurt people. Not, not trying to bless people, trying to be a curse to people. And thank God, thank God, thank God. I tell you, you know, um, uh, I, I, I don't, don't, don't want to visit the room I was in, but I, I think I, I, where I was pacing in the floor, I, I, my groove may still be there where I was pacing because... You know, I mean, when you get like 7,500 steps in, in, in the hospital room in one day, I was walking with my phone so I could see how many steps I was getting. But, but of course, I, I, I was listening to the Word. You got you version on there. You could read the Word. You could listen to the Word. And I tell you, we just had a Word fit, glory to God. And thank God for His goodness because you can tell that I don't have a terrible disease here tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank God. So uh, this just gives us some insight into the way God sees things. We're not in a religious mentality kind of thing, but, but just taking it as the word says it. What does God see? What, what does God call good? How does he measure good from bad? And I think we see some insight into that. Now you might ask this. On what day did God create sickness? Well, the answer to that is that he didn't. Which means that the way God created the world, as we read it in the beginning, indeed, it was very good. It was sickness-free. It was sin-free. It was poverty-free. It was depression-free. All the stuff that is just... Uh, wreaking havoc all over this fallen world. As a matter of fact, you know that there was no uh, no, no problems. Uh, there, there was no racism in, in the Garden of Eden before the fall. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve had the 
the perfect blend of, 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 a, of every person who ever would be was right there inside of them. I mean, the, the, they, were the, the, they were the best, uh, the, they had the best, uh, uh, you know, what's that? What's that, what's that thing? They had the best mullet, they had the best fro, they had the best everything. Think about it, you know? I mean, uh, the Bible calls Eve the mother of all living. The scripture says that out of one blood, God has made all nations of men. And so, what, what an amazing thing. The, you know, the, the problems that exist in the world today, in that perfect paradise, want well, none of that. <laughs> Thank God. Well, how did it get here? Well, one thing that the Bible is very clear about, and a, a, a scripture that I think really needs to be a theme for us to understand, is Romans 5 and verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man, that being Adam, Sin entered the world and death through sin. Or if you want to use the word entered again to make it clear, you could say, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death entered through sin. Now, the first kind of death that entered the world was spiritual death. Separation from God. And I want to read this to you. This is uh, just the, the last part of Genesis 2.17, but it's out of the Young's literal translation. It, it, it says this, where, where God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Young's literal translation says, dying thou dost die, or dying you will die. Implying two different deaths. One that's immediate and one that's eventual. The immediate death that took place was spiritual death. Right at that point was the point man was, boom, separated from God. Uh, the connection he had with God, wasn't, he wasn't enjoying it. As a matter of fact, how he related to God after that was that he hid from God. That's not the way it was in paradise. Amen. But then, 930 years later, and yeah, that's a literal 930 years later, Adam died. Because you see, it took a while to get to the point where, uh, uh, where we're living as short now compared to uh, how long people were living closer to the beginning of creation. Because you see, these bodies were not created to just last for 80 years and give out. No, these bodies were intended to just keep on going and going and going and going and going. If not for spiritual death entering the world, there would not be anything called physical death. I want to make sure I'm not popping on you here. But get that, that's very important. If not for spiritual death, we would not have ever heard of physical death, the, the dying of your body. But the first kind of death that came into the world was spiritual death, separated from God, separated from the source of everlasting life. And as a result of that, we got what we got. Now, when did this 
physical imperfection began? Well, it's obvious that death came through sin, and so if spiritual death came through sin, what came through spiritual death? Physical death and every other mess. Spiritual death uh, came in, physical death came in, sickness came in, poverty came in, depression came in, uh, every problem known to mankind, every curse known to mankind, when did it come in? It came in at that time. Now, so you, you see that all this stuff came on the scene when the serpent came on the scene. Isn't that interesting? Coinkadink? I think not. <laughs> I think that's very, very obvious that when the serpent was allowed on the scene and when the serpent was allowed uh, access, that is the moment when all this other destruction came on the scene. Now, one thing I want to get into tonight that I think is very important for believers to understand, especially just to understand the Bible a little bit and, uh, and not be blown away by some passages that, that some might call uh, trouble passages or hard passages that, that are hard to understand or hard to wrap your brain around. Uh, does sickness come from God? Now, somebody might want to give the quick answer, no. But, but uh, in order to, to honestly deal with this, we need to understand this, that there's a whole lot of Old Testament language in particular that talks about God striking, smiting, afflicting, killing, destroying, and sending evil to people. Anybody ever read those verses before besides me? So I want to go ahead and take a look at some of these things because we, uh, the, there's... There's something that can really help us out and help us to have some light in that area. And really the, the bottom line is that it appears that in Old Testament language that God takes responsibility for the cause of things which he only permitted. I want you to get that. That, that, that in Old Testament language God takes responsibility for being the cause of things that he only permitted. Or that God allows himself to be identified as the cause, even though that action that took place was not actually directly carried out by him, but only permitted by him. Uh, we referred to Jung's literal translation a little bit earlier. Uh, well, uh, Dr. Robert Young, the, the same one who wrote that Bible, ha had a, a written a concordance, and uh, at one time there was a... a a little area in the back of the concordance that was called uh, hints and help to uh, Bible interpretation. And he states there that active verbs frequently represent a permission of the action. Active verbs, you know what a verb is, a verb is an action word. Active verbs, so somebody who's doing something, uh, is, is, it's expressing a permission of the action. So, you know, you, you can look at it like this, where uh, someone said, Pastor Ray went to the grocery store. When in reality, Pastor Ray permitted 
Braden, I'll pick on you since you're there. Pastor Ray permitted Braden to go to the grocery store uh, instead of me. But the, the, the way it's worded is as though I actually did it myself. But I did not do it. I permitted somebody else to do it. You see that? So that's uh, very much the wording that you see a lot of times in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to look at things side by side. And, and uh, you, you'll get uh, from, from comparing things side by side, you understand the, the way that the uh, Old Testament reads in those areas. But you got to understand that, that as far as God is concerned, he's, the, he's not the committer, he's the permitter, if we can use those terms. He's not the committer, he's the permitter. You see, God had no choice but to permit things that he does not will. Here on the earth, because Adam legally turned this world over to somebody who is known for stealing, killing, and destroying. Now, now God's original intent was not for Adam to do that. God's desire was not for Adam to do that. God's will was not for Adam to do that. But Adam did that. And that's how Satan became the God of this world, which uh, Paul says over in Second uh, Corinthians. So uh, we, we realize this, that when Adam turned the earth over, then it changed things drastically. And rather than him being following the Lord and uh, in perfect harmony with God and God's way of doing things, he put things in a position that, that was ne- never intended to be that way. And he put things in a position, he being Adam, where God now had to allow things to take place that he never ever wanted to happen on his earth. Never was his will, never was his desire But because Adam turned it over, God had to honor the decision that Adam made because God gave Adam the the will and the ability to make that decision. God had to honor it even if he made a stupid decision. Now, let's take a look at some of these things and see if you can understand what I mean in the Old Testament where uh, you, you have God being called the... Uh, the committer of something when he was really just the permitter of it. Second Samuel 24 and verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So who moved David? According to this wording here, it would be the Lord. So it's talking, it identifies that the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he. So it would seem to indicate there that it was the Lord that moved David uh, against him to say, go number Israel and Judah. But when you look at First Chronicles chapter 21 verse 1, which is another, uh, uh, another record of that same incident, it says, now Satan stood up against Israel and move David to number Israel. Well, isn't that interesting? So we see there 
that the Lord permitted something to happen, but he wasn't the cause of what happened. The Lord permitted Satan to go ahead and tempt David to do something he shouldn't be doing, but it wasn't the Lord who did it, because we know that about the Lord from the New Testament, because God is not tempted with evil, nor does he tempt any man. Amen? So, that's a, uh, one example there. If you go to First Chronicles 10, and uh, we're just going to read uh, 13 and 14 here real quick. This is about King Saul. And King Saul died. He was the first king of Israel, followed up by David, who was the second king. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. Now don't go there now. All right, verse 14. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David the son of Jesse. Now reading that at face value, you would seem to come to the conclusion that the Lord killed Saul. Isn't that right? But when you look at the very same chapter and a little bit earlier, go to verse 3. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him and he was wounded by the archers. Verse 4. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. So you got right there in the same chapter a, a, a reference that said that the Lord killed Saul. And then you got uh, another reference that said that Saul killed Saul. Isn't that interesting? Well, you know, we're getting all the, the gray matters on fire right now. But, but we're not dealing with this with gray matter. We're dealing with this with our spirit, not with our mind. Amen? But, but what we see is that, once again, you side by side, when you compare those things, you see that the Lord may have granted permission for something to take place, but that does not make him the committer of the action, the, the one who actually carried out the action. Let's go a little bit further with this. Let's go to the book of Job in chapter 42. Now this is, this is at the end of Job. Uh, this is the happy ending. By the way, uh, uh, I've heard very often that theologians agree that what happened to Job happened over the period of nine months to a year. That means between the time he lost everything and got it back was about nine months to a year. So if you ever hear somebody say, I'm just another Job, it's like, get your worst year done and over with and enjoy the rest of your life. <laughs> but you see, I say that because so many people have in their mind that Job had a miserable life. No, Job has a, had a miserable year. After this, the scripture says he lived 140 more years and, and, and had children again after losing all of his children. And it said that Job's daughters were the finest looking woman in the whole land. Read it, it's in your Bible. There are a lot of things in there y'all don't know, right? A whole lot of things in there I don't know yet, but we're learning together. Amen. So here we go. Are you ready? Then all his brothers, all his sisters, this is talking about Job, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. 
and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. All right? Now, I don't want verse 11 right now. What we're going to do in just a minute, I'm going to go earlier in the chapter. But uh, um, this here says that the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. But let's go back to the beginning of the book and see the wording in the beginning of the book. Let's look at Job chapter 2 and verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. So you see a place at the end of the book that's talking about all the adversity that the Lord had brought on him. But here you see that, that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils. So the Lord was not the committer. He was the permitter, but not the committer. Now we see these things side by side in two separate verses. Now we're going to see it all in the same verse. Are you ready for this? All right. I haven't lost you. You're still with me? All right. Exodus 12, verse 23. And here's the thing. We're talking about the origin of sickness. You need to know for sure that God's not the origin of sickness. Because if you have any idea that it might be him, then you're not going to go ahead and fight it. As a matter of fact, if you went to the doctor and tried to get rid of it, you'd be possibly fighting against the will of God. So that's why we need to go through things like this and identify for certain, not just what the origin of sickness is, but also what the origin of sickness is not. All right. This verse is amazing. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. Who's going to strike? The Lord. All right. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So, you look at the beginning of the verse, and who's the striker? That would be the Lord. You look at the end of the verse, and you see that the Lord will not allow the destroyer to strike you. Woo! Right there in the same verse. So y'all see that? So that's one thing, especially about Old Testament wording, is that it's worded in such a way where it, it makes God sound as though he's the actual committer of certain actions, when uh, that, that's uh, not always the case. Uh, he may permit certain things and have to permit certain things because, you know, uh, uh, it, you, you see, God, God has to play by the rules, shall we say. God can't look the other way and pretend he didn't see something. God can be merciful and gracious, but when he's merciful and gracious, he has to do so legally. He can't just pretend he didn't see something. So, you know, when you look at it that way, the Lord has to play by the rules. But, but, but the thing is, is that uh, we're going to see some things about the heart and the character of God that's going to help us out here. First of all, well, does the Lord just enjoy going and zapping people? Or, you know, well, all right, well, he doesn't zap them, but, but he gives permission for the zapping to take place. Is he like that? 
Well, let's go ahead and, and listen to the word of the Lord out of Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God. And how long does he live? He, he, he's always lived and he's always going to live. That's eternity past to eternity future. Woo! Praise the Lord. That's a long time. As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But, or what does he have pleasure in? That the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Wow, you see that? Glory be to God. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. God takes pleasure when wicked people turn from the way they're going and live. That shows you the heart of the Father. Amen. Job 37, 23. This is not one of Job's comforters saying this because Job's comforters weren't very comforting. We know that. But this is uh, uh, another young man who, who, who came and spoke to Job and made a, a whole lot more sense than the other guys. This is Elihu who said this, Touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice. He will not afflict. That's out of the, the, the wording out of the King James Bible there. It says, He will not afflict. Let's look at another verse that has similar wording to that. Lamentations 3 and uh, verse 33. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. So what's this saying? This is saying what we've been saying all along, that when God allows affliction to take place, he's not doing so willingly because he never willed that. He never willed that because he never willed what happened back in the Garden of Eden. It happened, but that was not what he wanted to happen. So you see, God can allow affliction to take place, but it's not that it's his will for that to take place. It says that he does not afflict willingly. And so understanding our terminology in the Old Testament, that, that when the, it says that the Lord's doing something, that he's not necessarily the direct committer of the action, but he's the permitter of the action. What does that say about his heart? It says that he is, uh, this is not his will. This is not his will. For, for affliction to take place. It takes place in the world every single day. But is it his will? Is it his desire? Is it his design? Does he want it? No. And that word willingly literally means, and in a lot of Bible study materials you see this word, he does not afflict willingly. Willingly really means from his heart. So there's things that God has to let happen. There's things that God has to permit to take place that aren't coming from his heart. If his heart were to have its way, it would not be that way. Are you with me? So you see, we're, we're seeing some things about the character of God. That, that the, uh, the, the side of judgment and the side of having to permit things that, that uh, uh, that he'd rather not have to permit. Uh, we see that, that his heart cry. Uh, you know, nothing illustrates it better 
than when Jesus stood in front of Jerusalem. Remember that? Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem and he said, how long I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So there's a whole lot of times where Jesus cries that same thing out, where he would have rather things ended a different way, where he would have rather things went a different direction. But he had to go with things as they were progressing because of decisions made by human beings. God loves Jerusalem. Do you think it brought God any joy for Jesus' word to be fulfilled that, that the, regarding that temple, that, that not one stone would be left on another? No, certainly not. But it had to be fulfilled because rather than cooperating with God, the people went against him. And you see, a lot of times, you know, there's, there's space. But then when you run out of space, God has to allow certain things to happen that he may not want in any way in the world. Not may not want, does not want, just flat out does not want. But he has to go there if people put him in a position where he has to go there. Kind of like this. The Lord is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. The, the very idea that the Lord's slow to anger means, you know, I'd really rather not go there. Someone's keeping on doing the same old thing they've been doing, ignoring God, not listening, not obeying. I'd really rather not have to go there. You see, he's slow to anger. Why? Because that's not, that's not what he chooses as his mode of operation. That's not the way he'd rather go. He'd rather go the way of mercy. He'd rather go the way of being gracious and merciful and kind. But if he needs to go ahead and... Walk in the anger, he will. But, but you see his heart. You see that when God has to allow something to happen, that doesn't bring him joy. The, he's not happy and joyful about that. If anything, you see that it can hurt his heart. Jesus wept as he uttered those words in front of the city of Jerusalem. Now, how about this? Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. Hallelujah. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there are things that God must allow in a fallen world that were never his will or his original intent. Let me say that again. There are things that God must allow in a fallen world that were never his will or his original intent. This is one of them. 
somebody perishing, somebody dying and going to hell is not the will of God. Hell was not even prepared for mankind. Jesus let the cat out of the bag when he uttered those words uh, of, of the, the scenario that he painted where, where the Lord sitting on the throne said, depart into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, the original intent that God had for the fire was not any human being. We see the original intent God had for that everlasting fire was the devil and his angels. Amen? So there are things that God must allow in a fallen world that were never his will or his original intent. It is not his will for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. We just read that. Now listen, if it is not his will for any to perish, then it also must not have been his will for man to become perishable. Now we, we use that term perishable, especially if we're doing a food drive and say, don't bring anything perishable, only bring what's non-perishable. You, you heard that terminology before, right? Well, well, when it comes to man, God's original intent for man, when God originally created man, God did not make man uh, perishable. God made man like him and his intention was for, for man to live in connection and union with him forever. That was God's original intention for man. God's will now is for him not to perish, but if you turn back the clock, God's will was for him not to become perishable to begin with. Additionally, and when I say perishable, I mean able to perish. Additionally, if God did not will for man to become perishable, it would also not be his will for man to experience any of the other side effects that go along with perishing. If it's not God's will for man to uh, uh, become perishable, then it would also not be the will of God for man to experience any of the other side effects that go along with perishing. What are those side effects? We've talked about a few tonight. Sickness, poverty, physical death, uh, depression, uh, diseases of the mind, uh, uh, any conflicts between humankind that you can talk about. You, you, You see that very clearly in the word of God. And so, that would tell me that God's not willing that any should perish means that God's not willing that we should become perishable. And it also means that if God does not want us, God never wanted us to be perishable or able to perish to begin with, then that means that all of the stuff that came along with that must not be his will either. So we're taking our time to lay something out here. But I want to take my time with it. And I want this to be so ingrained inside of you that he is the Lord who's out to get you and going to slam you as soon as he has a chance. No, he's the Lord who heals you. 
Now, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but let me just read a few verses, all right? And then uh, we'll, we'll look to get into this uh, at another point. Um, you know, um, uh, I, I, I know Pastor mentioned uh, uh, the, the possibility of doing more than one uh, session, so I'll go ahead and work that out with him, and, and uh, I know we'll, we'll have uh, another opportunity to get into some things down the road. But uh, if it's not God, then who's it from? If God's not the origin of sickness and all this other junk in the world, then who is? Well, we already read Job 2, 7 that said that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils. We already saw that. Let's look at another verse we looked at earlier. Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. That caused the condition of these people needing healing under the ministry of Jesus. It says that they were oppressed by the devil. It caused sickness Satanic oppression. Isn't that amazing? In John 10, 10, the words of Jesus that draw the line between what he's like and what the thief is like. He said, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I'll tell you, you know, the uh, Jesus made it very clear, drew a line to make it clear what he's like what the enemy's like, what he does, what the enemy does. And uh, it's interesting is that as you go along in the Bible, the further you go, the more light you have, the more things you see. Because, you see, we looked at some things in the Old Testament and you could get a glimpse here and there. You know, you could get a glimpse that, oh, really, oh, that really wasn't the Lord. And it said the Lord did it, but the Lord was really just permitting it. You know, and we saw uh, multiple instances of that. But then when you get to the ministry of Jesus, and Pastor John has already shared a little bit about the ministry of Jesus in relation to healing, that if you want to know what, what the Father's like, you just look at Jesus. And, and so, so as we're going along in this progression of the revelation of the Word of God, once you get to the ministry of Jesus, you say, whoa, how many people did he strike? How many people did he smite? <laughs> How many people did he say, all right, we're going to have a healing line here and this one is where I'm going to go ahead and put some kind of something on you. No, he didn't have no prayer line to put stuff on you. He, Jesus' ministry was taking it off of people, not putting it on people. And what did Jesus say about his own ministry? He said, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I hear the Father do. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 calls him the, the uh, well, one translation calls him the, the flawless expression of the invisible God. The, the, the flawless expression of the invisible God. You can't, there, there's no way that you can get a better picture of what the Father is like than by looking at the Son. Whoa, glory to God forever. Make me want to have a benefit tonight. Hallelujah. But, but you see, 
that as the Bible goes on, as the revelation continues, more light comes. And, and where, 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 where things weren't totally crystal clear in the beginning, but as you went on, you got to the point where the ultimate revelation was laid out there. The revelation of his son, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ here on earth, manifesting what God is like for all to see. And there's no mistake in him. And you got to realize this and tell yourself this, that that same God in the Old Testament is the very one that Jesus said, I only do what I see him do. Not, not a different God. There's not, there wasn't God 1.0 and God 2.0. No. There, there, there's one, one God. The, the Father was not any different when Jesus was here than before. No, he was always the same. Now I can tell you this, that the Father can deal with people differently now than he used to because of a better covenant based on better promises. So we can definitely see that because now being under the new covenant, it allows God to be able to deal with man differently. Hallelujah. It allows there to be more space now than at one time there was. But I'll tell you what, believe me, even in New Testament times, somebody that doesn't... Uh, uh, play things right, so to speak, and run out of space and get into trouble with God. But once again, that's not God being mean. That's not God being the, the, the committer of uh, uh, atrocities. But, but, but if you allow yourself to go and go and go and go, will God get to the point where he'll say, well, if you won't go, I'm going to let you go. Absolutely. In the, in the same way that, uh, you, you know, uh, you can work with your children, parents, as long as you can. You teach them, you teach them, tell them the way, show them the way, live them the way. But there comes a time where it's like, hey, if you're going to be dumb, you can't say I didn't tell you. And when, 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 when you go down that dead end street and run your head into that brick wall enough times, Come and talk with me then. I don't know where that came from, but somebody needed it, praise the Lord. But, but you see, what we're talking about is very important. We're, we're, we're talking about the nature of God. We're talking about the fact that, that I don't want to put God in the position where he has to permit some things in my life that he'd rather, rather not permit. No, I'd rather my life be a reflection of Jesus' life where I could say that, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That, that my life could be a reflection of the will of God in the same way that Jesus' life was a reflection of the will of God. That my life could be a reflection of what he's like in the same way that Jesus' life was a reflection of what the Father is like. Praise the Lord. That's a good place to call it quits here tonight. And we'll get into more of, uh, if not from God, then from who? If God's not the, the author and the originator of sickness, then who is? We'll get into that further at a later time. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you. We give you glory. We thank you for the word of God. And, and Lord, we thank you. You're, you're good. Your character is good. 
You're, you're kind to us. You are so loving. You're so patient. Lord, we see you. We see what you're really like, who you really are. Lord, we're not scared of you. Lord, when we know what you're really like, we run towards you, not away from you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And Lord, tonight, thank you. We honor you. We give you praise. We're so, so, so blessed to call you our Father. Because you are good. You are good. You are good. You don't mean us harm. You don't do us harm. No, you look out for us. You love us. And we're so grateful for that great love. Hallelujah.